You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. And this week, uh, now that dust has finally settled post release, I know everyone was racing to the theaters. We're going to be a little bit out there. We're actually going to talk about the D&D movie. Yes. Uh, we've both seen it. Mm -hmm. Review, whatever. How does it work for the IP? Does it show that Hasbro can use entertainment venues to validly serve their IPs? Do they know what they're doing? E1 is being sold. Basically, just more mismanagement, maybe? Just trying to see how this works pulse-wise on what Hasbro is doing with its IPs. So with mm -hmm. that... We'll start with a little review. Yep. Uh, so overall, I I enjoyed the movie as a piece of high fantasy. I think it worked out pretty well. Um, uh, like, I guess anything I have is just nits to pick with it. Um, I didn't understand all the choices that were made. There were some oddly like reminiscent aspects of the movie that made me feel like I was watching the content from Gearbox from the Borderlands series. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, Hugh Grant's character is very much uh, Handsome Jack, which is... Yeah. Great. Yeah, which I believe is referential the other way. Handsome Jack should have been this character, but then they just go above and beyond with this character in such a way that is very reminiscent of what Gearbox does mm -hmm. with that outlandish shit. And I think it did a really good thing where it set up the universe for expansion without spoon feeding you too much and without beating you over the head with anything too egregious yeah and there was a fine line that i think they might have crossed and that is trying to make an adventure movie not feel like the lord of the rings and when you're yeah. panning the camera left to right or right to left across a field as people are traveling that is very much all three lord of the rings movies because that's what they did <clears throat> and i don't think that's necessarily a problem with this movie i think that's just what lord of the rings has done to this part of the zeitgeist shout out to randall for the best lord of the rings reenactment ever in books oh, yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> even the trees walked in that movie uh so good so <clears throat> all in all, I, I enjoyed the time spent. My lack of familiarity with the characters keeps me from really pushing much against them. What I read in the D&D subreddit, uh, what people enjoyed was some of the little things I enjoyed about the movie. So I'm glad they didn't see some of the things I liked as, as some uh, some negs. Yeah, uh, I I love Hugh Grant. I grew up in the 90s watching all the rom-coms with him. He's great. Uh, I th uh, let me preface my opinion of this movie by saying that like I haven't seen a film that wasn't produced by A24 in probably six years mm -hmm. uh, I hate the MCU I think generic blockbusters are bad but this actually as a broad spectrum appeal fantasy romp or whatever you want to call yep. it uh, actually did a pretty good job I liked that there was none of the, like, cliche, oh, no, you saw me naked stuff. Yeah. Uh, I loved, slight spoiler alert, the Bradley Cooper cameo. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think it served the IP. I think it helped bring a little bit more attention to it. Now, the thing that's interesting to me about it is I don't know if this movie could have happened if not for shows like Critical Role and stuff like that on YouTube. Uh, I think we would have gotten, if not for those, another absolute gem that was the Marlon Wayans D&D movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if this did more to serve the Dungeons & Dragons IP than mm -hmm. those content creators did, because I don't know if this could have happened without those. I think those content creators did more for the IP than anyone else. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that this is like... It was a good movie. I think the problem is, and this is something you and I have discussed, is, I mean, it's going to be banger season. Like, we're in summer blockbuster mode. Mario premiered and crushed D&D. &D yeah, absolutely. Over its global release. Uh, I don't know how this movie makes its money back. Mm -hmm. um, I know Hugh Grant isn't commanding what he did back in the day. I mean, by for the most part, these stars were B-list. But I don't know how this serves Hasbro financially yeah especially like we covered last episode where they're like hey man that D, &D movie sure gonna be great yeah the the the, the thing i i believe this did for the ip is what helps push hasbro and it's that it demystifies D, &D as being this really heady object that people have yeah. a hard time getting into or it's for like super nerds that still have pocket protectors yeah which is kind of interesting because the the antithesis of those people probably watched SLC Punk, a movie that is bookended God, by fucking D and D. So good, and I, I think it helps kind of pull that. At the same time, it yeah. still gives enough to the old heads referencing. Well, I mean, the entire movie basically takes place around Castle Neverwinter. Yeah, I, I love that they weren't ham-fisted with the references. Yep. They weren't jamming it down your throat. They were only given when it was relevant. Yeah, and it helps to expand the world into the properties that other enjoyers of the larger D&D world enjoy it. Spe specifically Neverwinter Nights, that game series that still yeah. has like a huge modding community yeah. and the Baldur's Gate crowd those were two very explicit call-outs within the movie yeah. and then I don't even think it's like subsumed in the campaign but what's the the pudgy dragon is it Ember Spark or something like that? I think so, yeah. 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 Uh, that, that, that named dragon is part of some campaigns and stuff that people really enjoyed and giving a look to that character was great and kind of filling in the gaps that people might have had with the IP overall, I think was good to kind of serve. Whether or not this brings new players to the game is going to be interesting to see because there's no good metric for Watsy. There without yeah. And that we just like bulldoze right into OpenGL with this. There's no good way for Watsy to know how many new players are coming to the game just because book sales themselves don't necessarily mean that everyone, uh, sorry, doesn't necessarily correlate to a new player. Those yeah. could be people stocking up, offering as gifts, replacing, etc. Mm -hmm. And rolling back OpenGL to be what it needs to be kind of hamstrings them in that way, which I think is fine i think yeah the if they left OpenGL the way it is this movie wouldn't currently be seeing a six million dollar gross in the u.s in week two it'd probably be along the lines of like 45 maybe all the way down to 30 yeah like, and i i think too if they this i think the only reason they walked back OpenGL, other than obviously the community outroar was they understood hey this affects more than just 
OpenGL. This is going to impact the movie. This is going to impact our media. Yeah. This like clearly has a hit in our pocketbook. And the interesting thing to me is that the people who were actually able to mobilize and get wizards to do something positive for the community are the ones that don't spend any fucking money by Hasbro's own admission. It, it's under monetized. I pirate all the books. Yeah. I'm not giving them any money. I I'll can't control F a goddamn book. And if anybody out there can cite how to grapple without any of the books. Power to you, me. because couldn't be me. No. <laughs> if there's one thing I know people still have to look up, it's how to grapple. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I think that's interesting because when you look at what happened with the OpenGL, what happened with this movie and the fact that yes they walked it back but there were still plenty of people that said i'm not going to see it because of the open gl stuff uh so they they recovered some but not nearly as much as they could have and that's just fascinating to me that they decided to go that route for an under monetized property it really makes me think that their mindset with magic is basically it doesn't matter we're so monetized on magic yeah. at this point, we could do anything and we'll still make a ton of money. Yeah. I was really surprised when we were setting up for this episode. We pushed it off for a while because we wanted to do something about OpenGL and then we waited and waited through all the policy changes and we rolled it back. So I went through the D&D sub and it seemed like as people were talking about this movie, nobody brought up OpenGL and any of those changes. They were more forthcoming about how much they enjoyed this movie and not necessarily what it did for them, but their hopes are for what this movie does for the community on the whole. So this movie debuts on Saturday. I think people were joking about seeing an influx of new subs, or a new uh, influx of new people to the sub at the end of the weekend because of this yeah. movie to bring people into the fold and how to play and enjoy this game. So I, I think walking back, OpenGL absolutely was the right move, not just for the yeah. audience overall for this game, to help better serve but also again just bulldozing right next to the into the next bullet point paramount plus is going to be picking up a DD series they're going to license the ip from hasbro directly without e1's involvement if you leave open gl in any state where people are really ordinary about it that series is going to fall or fail before it really even starts uh production it's just going to be flatlined right there it'll go out but it'll just fall flat like you you have to work with paramount you can't give them this hamstrung product and now they're no. going to be able to build on top of this world a world that we didn't know about until three two or three months after this this series announcement yeah uh and i i think it's important that this to me hasbro just straight licensing it to a company like Paramount Plus that is established that does have a pedigree that knows what the fuck they're doing yeah uh, is a huge step in like better business practices if it continues if this is a sign of things to come and it's not a one-off yeah which it may very well be uh, especially you know as our next bullet point which we'll get to uh, is I do think though that especially with all of the shifts going on really with Paramount Plus, HBO Max, and all these streaming services, this is actually a pretty good get for Hasbro to have one of the larger streaming services pick up the series. And hopefully, yeah. uh, it actually does well. You know, we've got 
obviously Game of Thrones is incredibly popular. The Lord of the Rings show is incredibly popular. Yep. The Wheel of Time show, eh. There's a lot of time in between season, like, did they only put out yeah. one and now we're waiting for two? So we're kind of... <clears throat> I was gonna I was gonna bring up Wheel of Time. I'm glad you mentioned this because we're if if this drops before season two does, then we're just kind of wedging it in there and yeah. trying to catch that crowd. Yep. Like Yeah. And I, I think the the really important thing for this about D and D is that it can be a self contained story by season. It doesn't have to be this overarching thing. And that makes it a little bit more palatable. So this is yet again, hopefully yeah. a sign of good, reasonable decisions to come in the future with its properties, which I don't know if the next point is reasonable or just a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, shit, we fucked up and people are calling us out on it. But yeah. uh, So the, the initial announcement with Paramount Plus is that E1 was going to be involved. Then this is a year before the announcement that Hasbro is going to sell off the rest of E1. So Hasbro buys E1, and they get both the audio and video portions of the company they sell off the audio for 385 mil i believe so they buy e1 for four billion dollars uh, three or four years ago yeah uh, we joked about them now having does it death row records yeah death row death row yep. uh, as part hasbro now owns peppa pig and <laughs> yeah. death row yep and they shed the music <laughs> section of it which is fine because hasbro has no business in the music business. Cool. Yeah. Then they picked I don't up... know. The Gathering was one of the greatest rap albums of all time. Yeah, but they weren't signed to That's anything true. under E1. That's your problem. Your, your lead stars. <laughs> they're, they're not there. Your main characters. And yeah. so they shed that, and then you're left with the rest of E1, which we discovered has made some great things over time. But they don't serve the Hasbro brand overall. Such hidden gems as Johnny Mnemonic was made by E1 in 95, but then you have things like Pan's Labyrinth and No Country for Old Men that were handled by E1. Those don't serve the Hasbro brand. So as the Altafox, uh, I don't know what you're going to call it, like discussions rage. Yeah, discussion. Like, yeah. As they rage and people point to poor purchases, the Power Rangers license basically stalling out, which is something that E1 was going to handle. Hasbro decides that they most likely overpaid for E1, they're going to keep Peppa Pig, which aligns with the rest of what Hasbro is doing, yeah. and just shed the rest of E1 after the announcement that E1 was going to be dealing with Paramount for this D&D series. What actually comes out is we don't know, but as of right now, E1 is still the face of this project. I assume when they shed E1 at Paramount, we'll just be licensing it overall. And when you and I were talking during the week, I thought E1 was a money pit. I thought like something yeah. must have been gone wrong, that they were shedding this. But at the end of the day, everything that we could find and an article from Forbes basically points to the fact that Watsy, not sorry, not Watsy, Hasbro, Hasbro, in standard fashion, pulled a whoopsie, overvalued E1, and just needed to get out of the hole they dug themselves into. Of note, uh, if you go back to the Alta Fox video, uh, or just listen to me right now, uh, Hasbro very specifically used Wizards of the Coast money for E1. Yes. That was a very specific thing that they did. Yep. So they have now kind of played into Alta Fox's hands, which maybe, again, this is a sign of good business decisions and them realizing, oh, we made a mistake. Let's not double down. Yep. 
or it could just be a knee-jerk reaction to, oh man, we are hemorrhaging money way more than we thought we were, courtesy of that last earnings call. We need to do something to get some money back. Yep, and like maybe realign on our brands. With I still don't under none of this plays into brand blueprint 2.0, which I find pretty funny overall. So maybe we're going to get brand blueprint 3.0 in the next year. <laughs> Hemorrhage money everywhere. Everywhere. I don't know. But and, one of the things they, they're selling at a loss too, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um it it's not like E1 was really a loss leader or anything. Profits did did sink from like 1.2 billion to 1.1 and that was the year that they didn't have a My Little Pony release and they cited stuff like that as to why E1 stalled, but at the same time Hasbro takes over and just doesn't do anything really with the company in the same kind of fashion that they were doing things before. Like yeah. E1 didn't actually handle any of the Hasbro brands while they were there, aside from a Power Rangers movie. And at this point in time, I don't know why you're making Power Rangers movies. I think the series just is... just do the series. Yeah, it's way better. Exactly. The only movie that mattered was when Rita got married. None of them have mattered. Actually, the since. only other one. That, well, no, the next one that's going to marry is the one that mattered. Is the one that drops next week. Power Rangers Forever, or what it is? Yeah, that's fair. Right. But I'm excited he, for that one. Uh, me too. Um, you know, thankfully, the G.I. Joe movies came before E1. Sadly, the first two Transformer movies came before e- the E1 merger. Like, that might have actually been good for the bottom yeah. line there, because that's a Hasbro brand. Uh, IP. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, shedding E1, a company you did nothing with, great idea. Similarly, whatever video game studio they gobbled up to try and make a Snake Eyes game... Uh, yeah. shedding that another good idea if that if and when that happens if it didn't already happen i think the sale of e1 is great though sadly this is effectively possibly the last project they'll be doing with the hasbro ip yeah unless they license something later unless the D product does really well and they continue or maybe they get involved in a magic netflix series yep and the second part of the title is the slow death of this thing so, this was a fun announcement from Forbes in 2021. <laughs> right. So, two years ago, it is announced that two years prior, in June of 2019, the Russo brothers announced that they would be executive producing an animated TV series based off the Magic the Gathering franchise. The series was originally announced for release in 2021, when this article was originally released, but production issues related to the pandemic have pushed back the release it was announced at a february 2021 hasbro e1 shareholders meeting that the netflix magic the gathering series is now scheduled for release in 2022 a specific date has yet to be set so we're a year past this it's oh, not yeah, it's 2023 it did, did it drop I don't... not yet yeah. it's not on the e1 slate for production we're a year past this and the only person associated with this production is still brandon ralph as gideon jura for one episode Nothing has gone anywhere with this. And people assume we're going to see the heat death of the universe before we get the next Arcane series. And I, I'm pretty sure a year after that, we'll get this magic series. It has just been a slow, quiet death for this thing. Yeah. Sadly. Uh, also worth noting, uh, in, I believe it was July? No, August of 21. Uh, the Russo brothers stepped away because of their involvement in a bunch of like MCU stuff. So probably dead. 
I would assume so. If Brandon Routh is the only person that's still attached yeah. to this, I don't think this Magic series is going anywhere. And every now and again, it feels like Netflix just gets embroiled with something in regards to their subscription model. So yeah. where are you going to put it? And maybe this is something that gets that bubbles back up with Paramount Plus in time. Yep. Or maybe they give it to Prime for all the shows we discussed and how well things are going over there. Especially yep. when you look at something like how well they handle the effects in the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Like, I think they're, they're spending like what? A billion in each one of those episodes or something like a lot but they're also one of the streaming services that just committed to delivering content yeah they're they're not as concerned about cost uh like hbo and warner brothers are yeah. so they're they'll just spend it because they know shit people are gonna watch this we'll oh, be right. making royalties off this for decades yeah exactly exactly like at this point in time warner brothers and hbo have nothing new coming out they literally had to cut down their own slate and the to uh shazam uh black adam and one other moody uh, yeah at least two of those failed miserably and like to jumpstart that company they just announced they're rebooting harry potter so good luck with that one guys and <clears throat> if this netflix thing or the the magic thing does pop up i assume again ewan will not be involved like everybody thought they were going to be originally because that was hasbro's you know production arm yeah, that was we acquired this and announced it fairly close together. You would think they would be involved with one another because we literally said in the announcement of acquiring E1, Hasbro says, hey, we're going to start doing this yep. to start multimedia presentations of our IPs to cut production costs. Yeah. But and you don't do it. Nope, not at all. And then they just kind of let it f fall to the wayside. And... I just placate the player base with an actual OP announcement and, you know, some pretty decent looking pro yeah. tours, whatever you want to call them, whatever they've been. So I guess. Yeah. Yeah. My, my hope is that we still get this thing, but whatever was announced, whatever that series was, I'm pretty sure is just dead in the water. The 2019 yeah. vision for the show is, is dead and gone. gone. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent, which is a bit of a shame because the reach on a, on a streaming service like Netflix is pretty large overall. And I'm pretty sure once Arcane hit, it lived in the top 10, which means it was basically hitting everybody's feed. Mm -hmm. So you get people checking out Arcane, and that pushes the IP, that pushes product. Yep. And what better way to get your product in front of people than hitting yep. everybody's streaming service or streaming account? I'm hoping you deal with E1 and then you move back on this. Yeah. Alright. Anything before picks? Are we good? Let's get it started with Slam picks. Jam it. Alright. Slam Jam it. I'm going first. Uh what's the deal with Mythic Editions? Alright, Jerry. All, all, thank you. Uh <laughs> if you've been paying attention, you've noticed that most all of the Mythic Edition walkers, uh are pretty much at their all-time low. So my pick this week is going to be specifically Lily the Last Hope. Uh, the, I believe it was Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition. Uh, obviously there was the War of the Spark Mythic Edition, which is the Mythic Edition that killed Mythic Editions forever because Hasbro botched the launch so badly that foil rares from that set are worthless because of all the sheets they sent out. Yeah, somehow they messed up eBay. Uh, <laughs> And then they messed up the fixing of it because I got a fucking toothbrush. Oh, I thought you would have it for today's episode. 
It's close by. It's like five feet away from me that way. But yes, I got a toothbrush. I didn't get a mythic sheet. I got a toothbrush. And then I said, hey, guys, why did I get a toothbrush that says Hasbro on it? And they sent me more sheets. Anyways, rant aside, uh, all of these are very good casual EDH walkers. Lily Last Hope, Sarkin, Nahiri, all of the ones that were in these. Agent of Bolas. Uh, they are unique arts with a unique foiling. Additionally, on all of the or on most of these, it's the only way to get their emblem in foil. Oh, okay. Which seems kind of silly, but that matters for your EDH players that are going to start picking this stuff up. Yeah, emblems have a price because commander players. Exactly. Uh, now, in terms of quantity, I'd be looking at any of these between like two to four. Mm-hmm. And going, casting a wide net here, not just Lily Last Hope, not just Gideon, not just Jace, not just, you know, I'd try to get as many of them as I can. Uh, the one that I may go a little bit heavier on is Eugene, okay. because he does see play as multiples in 60 card formats, as well as seeing play in EDH. Now, with all of these hitting their all-time low just a couple days ago, timeline can be a little strange for this. Uh, because in addition to just seeing more and more of these pop up on Facebook sales, uh, coming to booths I've worked, uh, there's not a lot of liquidity to these. If you look at TCG player on any of them, it's like one every couple weeks. Yeah. So timeline, you may be looking a little bit longer here, but this is not something I would want to out on open market or to buy lists. Okay. This is something I'm getting to put in my trade binder, which is why I say only get like one to three somewhere in there, because you don't necessarily want to park this, you know, 40, 50 bucks per card or more in some cases. I think it's like 100 for Jason Ugin. Those are the two highest ones. Uh, Wouldn't necessarily want to park all that in there, but it's definitely the kind of thing that looks really good in a trade binder. And someone will probably try to trade up to on impulse because of where they are in terms of affordability. Mm-hmm. I remember when the War of the Spark Mythic Edition first came out, that Jace was like $800. It was insane, yeah. I, it was absolutely ridiculous. And the worst part is, the card is so bad, it looks like another card from the edge of the sheet is showing on every single one of them. But... Oh yeah, there's like a telephone pole to, on the left of Jace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the left-hand side. I have no idea what it is. But this is going to be one of those timelines that's probably more like a long-term sit-and-see. But it's not one you want to park in a box and forget about. You want it in your trade binder. 100%, yeah. So I'd be looking to out at locals, at larger events, at weeklies, wherever you can in trade. Now, that may be kind of difficult because it is an EDH card. I don't really think it is anymore. Everyone plays EDH. You go to a large event, sure, you're going to get your spikes that hate it. But you'll get plenty of people that are just there to play and possibly prize that still play EDH with their friends. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's just a good look to have in your binder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to mention, one of my favorite things about picking these up is if you pick up Garrick Apex Predator, you can point out the biggest plot hole in all of Magic that you need to kill some walkers and Garrick's just out there doing nothing. Yep. How? Just bring him back. Let him kill them all. Anyways. Uh I just think it's good for trade binders. There may be a point where we can out it at Bylas, but Bylas have been dog water on these for a couple months now, probably because of the liquidity issues. The other thing to keep in mind is that there are not a ton of these out there. 
Uh, obviously, we don't know print runs or anything, but compared to like the SDCC stuff, yeah, it's a little bit more. But that's not stuff that they're really doing anymore that you can get, uh, especially with how bad Mythic Edition was botched in its last launch. I don't think this product ever comes back. I understand they're bringing back invocations or whatever and making the Yu-Gi-Oh! proxies look worse. I do not think there is a world where we ever get a Mythic Edition now because they've started doing secret layers. Yep. It's the same thing, but better. Better, yeah. For them. Yeah, the system was proven out to be a little better. Overall, I, I like the look. Um, there's definitely some interesting options in here. I was just checking uh, sales velo on Greg Apex Predator in general, and he's, he's not seeing a whole lot, like maybe 25 or so a month, you know, so yeah. like one a day. Um, the Mythic Edition one is a whole lot less, like yeah. one every two or three days. But there's some walkers in here where it's the only alt art yep. for them. Grook Apex Predator is one of them. The other one that I think everybody forgets about is that in the Guilds of Rav Mythic Edition, alongside the Liana, is Doretti Ingenious Iconoclast. Yep. Which is another, like, prized EDH card. And it does cost more than the Conspiracy version, like, by 2x, but yeah. it is the only other art of this card, and it's full art of this yeah. card. But yeah, most of these are full-on bangers i think a lot of people also forget that five mana to fairy is in the guilds of rad version that's actually the most expensive walker oh yeah at 140 is. yep yeah right so th these definitely have play in multiple formats depending on what you want to move into commander versus constructor there are definitely options you can straddle both if you'd like but it's there and i, I like i stopped paying attention to these honestly i have yeah i i think a lot of people did yeah i did yeah, I there I have some in my cube and that's it. I just don't care to. It's just like the SDCC sets. SDCC. Yeah. yeah, I have. I they're just parked. I don't care what they're worth. I never look and I don't see these outside of, of events. Like my locals don't have these, and I'm pretty sure if I brought like Doretti's with me to events, I'd probably move all of them. Yeah, because Doretti Ingenious Iconoclast. It, by itself is not a planeswalker that exists up here at all no. around my locals and the one person that has it is somebody who plays in my edh pod doesn't really play locals yeah. and has the mythic edition one so uh, anecdotally 100 percent of the people i know that play that Doretti play the mythic edition one or something yeah i i, I like it overall and i i don't know if the stigma of like uh oh, foiling is poopy holds to this you know i have them i played them they don't pringle which nope. is weird for cards for right around that era yeah and i think it might just be kind of a visibility issue but the moment they disappeared from tcg player they go up in price they hit stocks and then now we're off to the races so i think yeah. it's it's definitely a good look when you can find walkers like this that are applicable to multiple formats overall so yeah everything you said pick your lane here but definitely travel this road yeah uh for me we're getting a little junky today we are staying in commander and we are looking at a card that i'm pretty sure i thought we picked but we didn't we've just we, we've done some probably deep, mentioned it 12 times we've done we've done some deep dives on this card and it is junk diver ah uh, yes bar, bird extraordinaire from this card from destiny yeah so basically this card lives at a flat line of like under a buck until we hit modern horizons too and then it just kind of takes off we're off to the races and it's really not that special overall it's a one one for three 
flyer. It's a bird. It actually has a creature type now, and it just says, when Junk Diver is put into a graveyard from play, return another target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. It loops. That's yep. it. Not super special. So when I was taking my notes, Card Kingdom was buying 21 at 7. They have since been fulfilled a bit. They're now buying 19 at 6, but the price is still higher overall than when I added this to my notes back in uh, February, I believe. Yeah. And they were buying 20 at 450. So we're definitely seeing a bit of a glow up there. TCG, we're, we had 96 of the Destiny listings at 989. And when I added this to my watch list originally, there were 76 at 941. And I'm just checking one date quickly on this. Um, so overall, in Commander, this is basically an artifact value and or combo card. You yeah. can do either or and or none. You could just play it as a bird. We'll talk about that one later. And in the format on the whole, uh, the when you look at this card, you're like, oh, this is just a worse Eternal Witness. Yeah. Because it has an on dice trigger instead of an ETB's trigger. But at the end of the day, that's not really what we're looking at. This is a color agnostic value engine, and that adds a lot of extra power to this. So combined with highly accessible and redundant pieces in Scrap Trawler and Mirror Retriever, this allows any artifact deck the ability to play on both sides of the combo and value line, right? You can straddle it if you'd like to. You can lean in one way or the other, or maybe just pair it back and play a piece yeah. one or one piece or two pieces of this value engine to ensure you have game across all stages of the actual game. And when you when you think about where this works, you can rattle off a lot of cards like Psy Master Thopterist, Bosch Iron Golem, even things like Krar Clan Ironworks, and a myriad of other objects and synergistic cards that pair well with Junk Diver, but that's just the surface. Junk Diver plays in some really interesting ways and decks that make me like this as a longer-term pick. I mentioned we would talk about this being a bird. Well, Taunos Toymaker is a brand new commander for this. And Taunos copies birds. Imagine that. You can sacrifice your bird, your copy of this bird. To put value. the bird back in. Yes. Imagine that. You can do something as goofy as that. <clears throat> it's a historic spell or an historic spell. So it triggers Tashar, Ancestor's Apostle. And you can do whatever you want at that point. Right, because Tashar basically allows you to loop back from your graveyard, if I remember that card correctly. Hold on, let I me believe so. Bring this up on stocks for everyone. Whenever you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to yep. your hand. Guess what? You're looping. Battlefield. To the battlefield. Yeah, sorry. You're looping. You're yeah. looping. You can do whatever you want, right? It sacks the slow bad goblin tinkerer to both trigger it and give another artifact indestructible. And it sacks to Welder. Yes! There's a ton more to explore below the surface, and that's what I'm in for for Junk, dri junk Diver. It's just not Mirror Retriever, Junk Diver, go infinite, quote-unquote, twiddle your way to victory. Yep. Right? There's a lot going on with this card, and that's why I'm, in, I'm into it. It plays... It, this is not a CDH card by any means, but it's going to play at any kind of table, be it casual or, like, more competitive... Because, again, it is not a one-card combo piece. It is basically just one-card value. 
and like a lot of other good artifact synergies the more you plug into it the more combo you can get out of it but that's not where it starts but it's where you yes. can end and i think that's an important designation timeline right now we're seeing a plateau on price but I, I expect that to pick up with march of the machine release into whatever the hell aftermath is and it's just going to add fuel to the fire that is again this combo or value-based commander deck that people are, yeah. are looking to play i think this most likely is on the outside of three months to buy a list now this sells approximately 35 copies a month between Nearman and lp for the destiny version and 65 for the c14 version and if demand stays constant the market will drain in four months and three months respectively yeah. this should force all prices up and thus flipping to the open market should be attainable inside two to inside a two to three month period for either version i just picked the destiny version when i was taking my notes because i'm more partial to that one now that's fair reprint equity this is where things get interesting I, we're never going to see this in a standard or modern set and i'm uncertain why watsi seemingly refuses to reprint this into any of the recent artifact based commander decks yeah it has not been in the brothers war decks it was not in Neon Dynasty. It was not in March of the Machines. It has been effectively replaced by Mere Retriever. Mm -hmm. I, do, I don't know why. So to me, it looks like we might actually be locked out of reprints for this yeah. card. And I verified it and Mere Retriever have the exact same text aside from the card referential name. That's it. It's the same template. There's just a placeholder for the card name in the file. It's copy-paste. I don't really get it. So I think this might be one of the first times where we're looking at a card that may just never see a reprint again. Secret layers be damned. But it's because Watsi's fallen in love with another version of this card. Yeah. So it goes. Now, personally, when it comes to buy quantity, I have a mixed play set of these, but I'm definitely in the market at local events to pick up another... Uh, sorry. I'm in the market four local events to pick up another set or two if i can find them right because that's the, that's what i want to serve knowing yeah. firsthand how powerful this card is because i played it when paradox engine was legal hey, i always want to have some in my binder for those looking to play artifact combo and i'm happy to serve my players over a buy list in this instance because they're not getting it with these reprints um i i didn't mention this in the notes because i didn't have a good place for it c14 was the mono the monocolored commander decks by the way so yes. that's um, Doretti's Scrap Savant. Yep. That's Goblin the one. Pope. That's the reprint, right? Uh, that was the, the first Artifact Commander deck, and we haven't seen it since. So, Despite multiple Artifact Commander decks. Again since. and again and again and again, right? So I would like to have, personally, just to recap, like another four to eight of these to serve my locals. It is a bit expensive at $9 for the, the Destiny version, and I believe it's like... Six-ish, seven, yeah. something like that for the others, yeah. Yep, for the, the C14 version, a little over six for the Anthology version. Same art across all three, it's just a new frame. So in all honesty, move on whatever version you feel comfortable with. I think you're, if you want to serve your locals, four to eight is fine. If you want to serve Bylas, I think eight to 12 is fine. Because again, this is not a car that's really, or open market or Bylas, because I don't, this is not a car we're getting a reprint of for some reason. And if we do ever get a reprint of this card... I would slam on the foils because the only versions we have now are from Destiny and they're like 85 yep. to 100 a piece. Yeah. 
So lots. Yeah. And at that point, I think I'd just go infinite on foils. Yeah. So that's it for me this week. I got nothing. All right. So for at empty Chica Ballcast on Facebook, Patreon, YouTube, and Twitter, I am at halt. I am reptile. You are at thirsty sizzler. And we'll see you next week.